There are days when you are just not feeling it. Days where you feel like you've lost your mojo. If you're looking to get it back, then you've tuned to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Thanks for the download button. We sure do appreciate it. For all those folks who are sending us nice notes and leaving reviews on iTunes or posting something on Facebook, we really, uh, we do, from the bottom of our heart, we really appreciate it. It gets our mojo working. We have been working double time during the month of September, getting ready for October, and we have got a cracking month ahead of us. And we hope you'll tune in. We hope you'll be a part of Rocktober with us. And if you like what we're doing, share it with somebody. There was an article this morning I read that over 56% of executives around the world are suffering from stress and depression. Those people certainly need their mojo working. So if you like what we're doing, share it with a friend, it helps us, or leave us a message on iTunes on ratings review one line. That's all we need. That keeps the engine that is the big red bus on the Mojo Radio Show going. Driving the bus, the man behind the panel, uh, with his caveman coffee. I love that big caveman coffee mug. Could it be any bigger? They're awesome, man. It's like the jumbo <laughs> giant of coffee mugs. But, and how do you like the brew? Oh, it's it's so nice, isn't it? Absolutely. Got to get me some more of that. It is a great brew. And folks, to put you in the picture, we have got the start of Rocktober this year is with Tate Fletcher, who is the guy who runs Caveman Coffee in America. You can also get it here in Australia at cavemancoffee.com.au. And uh Tate is, I got to say, it's probably one of the greatest shows we've ever done to open this year's Rocktober. He's an actor, stuntman, runs his own microbrewery. He's got his own coffee company, lives in Santa Fe. And the guy, honestly, his wisdom and what he shares and his straight up get after it attitude really is just the best way to start Rocktober. That's coming the first week of Rocktober. Mm. However, he sent a swag. We got caveman coffee t shirts, caps, coffee. It's all good. I haven't got any of it. It's all gone to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, I did see Liam rocking out the caveman coffee uh, cap. Yes. His caveman coffee lid. That's right. It. It's now his school cap. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a permission note coming home from school, no doubt. Absolutely. That's right. And why are you feeding your son coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Your son won't sit still in class, Mr. No, Robinson. That's right. What are What's you going feeding, on? What are you feeding your children? Uh, mate, have you um just we got a really interesting guest this week. And we're gonna mm. talk about sustainability and mm. we're gonna talk about food, the planet, and it relates back to our health and our mojo. And have you ever thought back to how songwriters and we have had a focus on songwriters on this show with how they create, how they draw their ideas, how they express their ideas. Mm. Have you ever thought about whether these guys, when they're writing, they're looking into the future. I mean, listen to this track. Sounds like now, David Bowie. It is David Bowie. And he did that track, what, 15, 20 years ago. Oh, more than that. <laughs> 30 or 40. And you wonder what was going through his mind yeah. when he sat there hallucinating. Let's not go there. <laughs> but hallucinating about, you know, maybe pondering up at the sky and going, I wonder what it is like. Mm. Is there life on Mars? Mm. And 
The chances are in the next 10 odd years, we are going to find out because our guest today has been shortlisted as one of the people to go on a one-way ticket to live on Mars within Mm. the next decade. Also an expert on sustainability, expert on the food, how we raise it, eating locally. And I, I thought all these things together really make for a fascinating story for the Mojo Radio Show. Take us from here all the way to Mars. So Diane McGrath, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for having me on board. Well, well, we're going to talk about that. We're actually talk about getting on board because you uh, you potentially could be really on board. So we'll come to that a little bit. But what got me interested in the work you do is around this sustainable food movement that you have become such an expert in. Just to start us off, what sort of work would you do on a daily basis and who would you be doing it with? Mm, gosh, oh, it's so diverse. Um, I'm doing research, yeah, I'm doing a PhD in environmental environmental engineering, say that one quickly, um, it's, but it's focused on food waste. It sounds really technical when you say environmental engineering, you think of, you know, a lab coat on and I'm playing with all these uh, technical things, but actually it's it's looking at food waste, um, looking at what's happening within our, our food system, how are we approaching our interaction and the relationship with food and how, um, especially in the hospitality sector, so that that area where we, as customers, hand that over to someone else um, to cook for us, which is a lovely thing. Everyone loves being cooked for. Um, mm. And and yet, and that, that the way that the businesses then um, interact with that and either provide too much food or don't think about some of the process and what happens to that food. And, and so, so, yeah, I, I have a lot of contact with um, fantastic food service businesses out there, restaurants, cafes, hotels, et cetera, and lots of people who like to eat out. <laughs> who doesn't like to eat oh. out? Um, <laughs> so that, I do that, but I'm also involved um, from a, a lot of not-for-profit work. I'm on the board of a couple of not-for-profit organisations in the community food, food security, food sustainability space, so um, 3,000 Acres and the Open Food Network, and, and, and those organisations are looking at the, the role of food in our yeah, our society from another perspective entirely as well, which is around so two thousand acres, around I suppose opening up opportunities for people to grow stuff, right? unlocking land. We have I don't know where you guys have lived over the years, but sometimes in our cities or even in our large towns, there's often vacant plots mm-hmm. of land or areas of land where they're just run down and people might be living in apartments and would love to have the opportunity to grow some of their own food. So 3,000 Acres helps facilitate that and create, almost create a, um, a community around the potential to grow food, So, which is fantastic. Um, and the Open Food Network, the other board I'm with, um, the Open Food Network, an interesting perspective. What they're trying to do is to find a way to uh, help the, the smaller scale growers, so those people who like to grow food um, maybe at a productive level, um, maybe organic garlic or um, happy healthy pigs or whatever, um, to be able to have access to the market and people who like to eat it uh, without mm. having to go through the challenging distribution systems that we have to be able to help connect the, the eaters and growers. And that helps support, uh, I guess, well, we're gonna, I think we'll probably talk about this, but sustainable food. So, um, from the perspective of people growing it, we need to support them at that market. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing around a lot of the sustainable sort of food space there. Um, but you notice how I've slipped in the word space? 
(laughs) (laughs) How would you describe sustainable food or sustainably sourced Mm. food? Like what do we do and how does it help us? Like why why should we care? Why? Why care? Look, it's funny. I keep thinking back to my grandmother um, on my father's side who came from a a farming family and um, and Grandma McGraw used to, they had, she had a, there was a saying about her, which was she could grab a, a dead stick in the backyard, stick it in the ground, and it would be flowering in days. Um, <laughs> I, I think we've, we've lost our connection to how to grow food and how to appreciate food and understand where it comes from. Um, and it's a delight to see some of the, the wonderful opportunities that things such as the Stephanie Alexander School Garden Program and so forth bring to helping kids remember what a, um, a tomato looks like on a tomato plant, things like that, and how long it takes to grow it. As soon as you learn how long it takes to grow something, I think our, it's important with, because we've lost this connection to our food, and I, you know, I don't want to use the word food system too frequently um, because it sounds too much like a process then, but um, I think we've lost a lot of our connection with food, with how it's grown, and, and our part in that chain too, not just as in growers and eaters, but we're all a part of, we're all living species in this ecosystem of this planet. Um, and if we don't spend time thinking about that, we're actually going to limit our opportunities to be able to remain healthy and this planet to remain healthy. So we need to look after the food, our food source, our source of nutrients and health, and that will help us then in turn look after this planet, which keeps this cycle going. I'm a, I'm a bit of a weekend gardener myself. We've the kids and I love our veggie patch out the back, which is <clears throat> at the moment sitting fallow. We left it over over winter, but we're about to get into it again. But the, the interesting thing for me is that we go back now, and, and more and more when you go shopping for um, you know for seeds to sow or plants to put into your garden, more and more we find these heirloom vegetables like heirloom tomatoes, heirloom this, heirloom that. It's interesting that we're stepping back to the old days in, in ways like that with gardening as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really important too to keep the diversity of plants uh, out there. I mean, there's a reason why all of these different types of plants existed and, and so many other animals and other species, uh, birds, etc., um, insects as well, were reliant or dependent on, on some of the nutrients or elements that come from that diverse variety of plants. So if we start to breed particular ones out, what else are we affecting? Are we starting to see less birds or insects around particular areas because those no longer exist? Absolutely, it's all connected. My 10-year-old woke up a couple of weeks ago and said, Dad, come to the window And when he opened his blinds in his bedroom and the, the massive big rosemary plant in our veggie patch had flowered overnight, like burst into bloom. Wow. And, um, and there, was, there was this covered in bees and Liam, my 10-year-old's going, wow, I wish we could find where they were and get their honey and it's great. <laughs> fantastic other rosemary plant that's taking over the garden. That's right, exactly. (laughs) So, Diane, with going down this sustainable food pathway, what Mm. difference does it make if we we get on board with this thought and we start to either grow our own, look for heirloom seeds, buy sustainably locally produced food, what difference do you think that's going to make to us as a family and or us as a community? Uh, Gee whiz, I think so many ways. I mean, it's in the community perspective. um, If we think about, I mean, in Australia, we had that uh, the challenge recently with with milk. You might recall about Mm. the the dairy community not getting a fair fair go. And so if, if we don't think about 
looking after the people that grow our food for us, then we're not looking after the communities that they live in either. And and so we see you know some of those country those country and, and rural areas um, suffering because of the fact that we're not as as consumers thinking about how we can sustainably source our food. And sustainability is not necessarily just about um, making sure that it's organic or whatever, but it's also about the community. It's about making sure that those families that do live out in um, you know, Gippsland area that might have their small scale um, happy cows that produce wonderful milk for us to enjoy that don't want to sell in through the large uh, retailers, uh, that they actually get a fair salary, that they can actually survive and then contribute to their local community. So it's really important to do that, to to, to protect and preserve and ensure that local communities can thrive. Um, but growing your own, I mean, gosh, I, I think your own ha- home experience there, just uh, with your son seeing how excited he gets about seeing the the flowering rosemary bush and all of the bees there. I mean, it, food is such a fantastic way to connect people. Uh, and I've, I know of so many families whose, uh, whose kids just love being a part of that garden uh, and to see the joy in, in producing some of their own food. I don't know. What, what do your kids do there? Do they love coming out there and helping plant and so on? Or they do everything. Yeah, they do the watering and all that sort of stuff after school. That's one of the things that they love to do. Um, a couple. So of- you're saying you do nothing then, mate? Oh no. Well, I pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> with the beer going. Yeah, mate. Just uh, get that bit off to the right. See that weed there? Yeah, just a, just get that one. Yeah. No, look. You know, the greatest joy that I had was actually about three years ago when they were a little younger. Jack was ten. My oldest was ten, and, and Liam was about seven or eight. And it was the end of summer and there was the last dozen or so cucumbers hanging off the vine and they ran around and collected them and set up a stall on the side of the road. I I, I live in suburban Sydney, so, you know, it's not like we're on a property somewhere. And they set up a little sign and they sat on the side of the road and a a, a dozen cars stopped and bought a cucumber at 20 cents each. And you should have seen the smile on their faces, you know, it's just things like that. And they want to eat it because they've grown it. Yep. You know, all that, it just, yeah. all the reasons for having it, it's just, you know, I, I can't, I can't tout it enough. It's a, it's a great experience for them. I think you've got the control then of the environment in which your food is grown then too. You know then what's been put into the soil that is then being taken up by the plants, which then you're eating. So this, when it comes to, you know, what does it mean for your families and that, you can guarantee <laughs> their health of that plant because you've, you've actually, um, I guess, contributed to that. So um, for your kids in particular, I mean, you know, all parents that want their children to grow up to be healthy, well, intelligent, happy, all those sorts of things. So um, this is a, a step in that. I mean, good health it comes from what we eat as well as how well we sleep. We, uh, we live on a farm and we have done now for a number of years grown our own fruit and veggies and mm-hmm. recycle uh well, the manures that come from our animals, which are all grass-fed and grass-finished. So we, we have our own protein and veggie thing going on. But what I, what I find most fascinating is that I've never been really aware of the seasons before until I got onto the land and had to work with the seasons. What I'm curious about is that my little girl loves her red capsicums. So to put colour on the plate, mm. we still have to go in and find – somebody somewhere who can get me a red capsicum. And I know now being on the land, I cannot, for the last six months, there's no way I was taking a capsicum off our property. Yet I can still get it. And it worries me that I can. 
It really comes mm. down to what you talk about with looking at food miles, doesn't it? Can you kind of explain that to us? Yeah, well, food miles, um, it's, I mean, it seems to be something which is quite simple in the, the term itself. It's about how far food has travelled, so from where it's grown to potentially even where it's um, stored uh, and then maybe processed if it gets packaged or turned into something else to where it then goes to the stores that we purchase it from and then to us. And sometimes with, um, a, a simple vegetable could potentially travel thousands and thousands of kilometres before we actually see it on our, uh, on our plates and salads. And, and it's, we see that a lot because, well, as consumers, we've decided we want to have apples of that particular type. Fiji, Fuji's, for example, we want them all year round. Or we want cherries. Or if we're seeing cherries right now at the markets, I can tell you now they've not come mm. from the cherry trees in the state. They're from the US or somewhere like that. How many thousands of miles? And so what that does is it places um, environmental pressures on the system, if you want to say that. So all of the greenhouse gases that are emitted through transportation, transportation is one of our biggest, um, I guess, um, biggest pushes when it comes to the impact on the environment, when it comes to energy consumption. So if we can reduce how much food is being transported, so eating local, growing your own, has a big impact on food miles. Um, that also it has an impact on greenhouse gases and obviously on climate change over time. So going back to seasonal, it actually makes you enjoy the stuff when it's here too. I mean, don't you look for it? I, this is not exactly a, a seasonal produce thing, but I'm an advocate, but I don't eat hot cross buns until the week before Easter. <laughs> I do not. I'm there. They are available all year round these days, which is almost, excuse me, being um, sinful. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to do that. I wait till the week before Easter and then I really appreciate that I have them for two weeks and that's it. And, you know, I treat them seasonally like I do fruit and vegetable. I eat seasonally and then I appreciate it when it's here. It's like, oh, fantastic. Finally, it's stone fruit season. Woohoo! Robert has the same philosophy with Tim Tams. He will only, only, and I stress <laughs> it, only eat them on days that end with a Y. If the day does not oh, end with a Y... No Tim Tams today. Is that right, Robert? And I also have a very strict rule that cherry Tim Tams only in summer. Oh, that's a good move. Yeah, yeah. well done. <laughs> but the season, actually, the, um, the food miles thing also, um, because we want things all the time, the, the same food all the time because we love it, it's our favourite or whatever, um, we don't necessarily spend the time to work out how on earth they do that. Are they hot housing things? Are they being mm-hmm. stored uh, and then having to be gassed and um, by the time they get to us, a lot of food has lost a lot of its nutrient content because we, we're picking it early. There's evidence that show that apples have got about 50% less iron these days than they did when we used to eat them seasonally. Wow. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so because of the fact that we're, we're, we're actually picking the fruit and vegetable before it's ready to be harvested mm. and also in its season, um, then we're not allowing it to develop its full nutrient content mm. for us as consumers. Uh, and then, of course, when it's sitting and waiting for us to eat, perhaps in its in storage units, it's, it declines in its quality too. So we're going to see the nutrients decline over time there too. So, you know, we're not actually getting fresh food anymore. We're not getting that, the full nutrient value that we used to get when we ate seasonally, especially local. You, you've done a lot of adventure racing. You're an endurance sort of person who we'll get onto in a second. And you mentioned how you inferred about you know, waiting for seasonal foods and really enjoying your foods. What what does your own food routine look like, Diane, when you're 
in a, in a day that you can control, how do you what what's your philosophy on food? Um, my philosophy on food is interesting. It's changed over the years, and uh, I guess it's like anything. The more um, you educate yourself on things, you know, you adapt your behaviours accordingly. Uh, I make sure that I eat enough. Number one, many people that um, are athletes will often under eat, and mm. so I, I make sure I eat enough. Um, I have. Uh, I, I pay attention to having healthy food. I, I go and buy food when it comes to you. Said, you mentioned before about um, having grass-fed. I'm very much about grass-fed versus grain-fed uh, meat and, and, and other proteins as well, animal proteins. I eat crickets uh, and insects, so that's a part of my diet. I'll, it's rare that I'll have a day where I'm not eating insects um, in some capacity. Incredibly sustainable as a food source. Um, to grow a kilogram. Where do you get them? Yeah, yeah, a, a kilogram. Oh, I get them from. There's a couple of different suppliers in Australia um, that no. you can order online through um, the edible bugs and um, bugsy bro. Oh, um, bros. how cool! And um, they they, uh, they they sell so they sell insects, but other types of uh, like crickets, but other insects too. Um, and so I've got like a little snack pack of um, of crunchy crickets. <laughs> so um, so okay. A girlfriend of mine calls them land prawns. Really? Uh, they're land prawns because the <laughs> the exoskeleton of the the outside shell of a cricket is made of the same chemical compounds as the outside shell of a prawn. So thus, crickets uh, actually have quite a bit of calcium in them. Uh, so I add them to uh, like the ground up cricket powder as well. I add it to my meals that I'm making, maybe a stir fry or a stew or whatever. Uh, not necessary to replace all of the meat that I'm up using, but because cricket meat has so much more iron in it than red meat, like about three to four times as much, it means I don't need to use as much meat in, when I cook. I use a lot less meat. So, uh, And crickets are a lot better on the environment. They, they don't use as much, um, uh, say, for water, for example. Australia is such a, uh, such a, a country where we have a limited resource of this. It takes, to grow or produce a kilogram of red meat, it takes about 1,500 litres of water versus a kilogram of cricket meat, it takes one litre of water. Are these locally sourced crickets, Diane? I, I, I saw, I actually wrote a story, reported on this uh, in the Espresso, the blog I do, about there is a bar that Tim Ferriss has spoken about called Chirps, which is made of crickets. And I had been fascinated by this because everything I had seen and read about crickets is the protein content is pretty good. Mm. Uh, yep. Are these locally sourced crickets? Are they accessible to anybody who's listening to the show? I'm quite fascinated by this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's a, a couple of suppliers that I use. Um, one is a company called the Edible Bug Shop. So they're online. So just um, Google Edible Bug Shop and they'll um, pop up and you'll see all the different ways that you can purchase from them as in the different product offerings. Um, and then the other company that I buy stuff from occasionally is a company called um, Bugsy Bros, who are um, also, and these are both, both Australian, both Australian companies. Really? So um, some of, the, some of their um, supply uh, doesn't necessarily come from Australia, um, so, but they're obviously making sure that the, the type of crickets or whatever that they're sourcing is, has been, because, you know, we have particular health standards here in Australia when it comes to import of food and so forth, so it has to meet all of those sorts of criteria. Um, so that's another reason why I'm happy to purchase through a local and Australian company 
um, because then at least I know then it's guaranteed to meet those um, those health uh, food health standards. I'm a bit of a foodie and and did a bit of travelling in my younger days. It shows, mate. <laughs> yeah, it does. Spent some time in Bangkok um, and especially at the night markets. And so I've actually tried crickets and and quite enjoyed oh, them. Oh, really? Yeah, they're beautiful. Um, but my mm. question to you would be, <laughs> Diane, is um, how do I serve them up to my family? <laughs> Cautiously. Well, the first time might be doing it in a sneaky way. So if you if you maybe try um, using the cricket powder to start with, so ground up um, ah, cricket okay. powder and just use it in a dish, then they'll never know they've had it. Yeah, right. Well, I sneak wow. anchovies into the bolognese and stuff like that, so yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So just use it like a spice because it does have a flavour. It's not like it's flavourless. It actually does have a flavour. Yeah, it does. I love cricket. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really nice. Um, so, yeah, if you're putting it in with a bolognese, something which has a rich, deep flavour, then that would be a really good place to, to start. And then once the kids or whatever realise, oh, did we just eat crickets? Oh, mm. okay, cool. And I remember the first couple of times I ate whole crickets, um, uh, I, I had to close my eyes. So it's like that, it was that hick <laughs> factor. You know, we, we Westerners, we're so weird about this because, as yeah. you say, in Bangkok, in most Asian nations, in South America, in other uh, countries of the world, they eat insects all the time. Uh, yeah, it's almost a staple, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And in fact, if we're you know, talking about Tim Ferriss and so forth, if people really go down the true paleo sort of angle about what we're cavemen eating, we weren't necessarily killing woolly mammoths all the time. We were probably eating a heck of a lot more insects yeah. for yeah. our protein source than yeah. we were um, mammoths. So yeah. um, that would have been, from from nutritional anthropology, you'll find that um, our insects were a higher protein source for humans than woolly mammoths were. So you're eating, you're eating crickets and insects, you are... Obviously, seasonal fruit and veggies. You mentioned you eat some meat, grass-fed meat. Is that mm-hmm. right? Is that yeah? Does that make right. up the base of your diet, Diane? Uh, actually, I've, I'm a strong believer that um, it's is it. Um, a lecturer I had at uni for one of my um, uh, master of sustainable practice subjects, and and uh, he, I remember him saying one time that he. Uh, he's a nutritionist, a nutritional anthropologist, and what he talked about one time was that um, he recommends to people that they should base their diet on a vegan diet and add meat. Sounds funny, but um, but what his intent is that plant have a plant based diet, but ensure that you get the the body's nutritional um, content as well from meat. That meat provides much more efficiently than um, plants do, and it's not that plants don't provide nutrition, they do, they're really important. Yeah. That's different types. So like iron, for example. I like that. Um, the, iron that's a, the iron that's available in plants, it's um, non-heme iron, which is significantly less absorbed by the body than the heme iron that's available in meat. So the, you have to eat so much more in quantity of plants to get even vaguely close to what you get in a small piece of meat. It's a when it comes to nutrient efficiency, uh, meat actually is quite helpful in that. Um, it's it's much more nutrient dense than than many many plants. And let's be honest, the only way to get your recommended daily intake of bacon is to eat bacon. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> oh look, well, <laughs> bacon. A, a friend of mine jokes that it's the only way that um, a, a vegetarian will turn back to meat is um, to walk into a place cooking bacon. Um, <laughs> look, I, well, actually. Um, Bacon is something, a bit of a, a sometimes food in 
in my house. I love bacon, yeah. um, but only here and there. I'm, because I'm, I'm very conscious about how the animals are treated yes. as well. And, yeah. and in Australia, um, the, the pork industry, sadly, does not necessarily treat its animals as humanely as we think. We mm-hmm. see lovely pictures of hawks, uh, of, hawks <laughs> of pigs running around in pastures, but that's sadly only about 5% yeah. of, uh, of the production. So, um, I mean, if you, there's a fantastic website um, that will help you people find who, uh, uh, who produces happy pigs, and it's called the Flavour Crusader, and it looks at um, Australian farming, um, small farmers, who have their own um, business that that have happy roaming pigs and dairy and whatever else as well. Um, so it, it and it's um, all over Australia. And some of those farms you talked about um, before about uh, you know growing your own and what what we can do to support at the local farm level. Um, some of those farms also have something called CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. I don't know if you heard much about that, but it's it's essentially you you buy a share almost in that farm, that farmer, uh, and what they're potentially potentially going to produce that year, and so that guarantees that you will get, you know, a, a set amount of what they'll make that year. But what that also does is allows that farm to have a a forecast of what they need to produce, and can and then allows that that system to be better managed, um, and they get supported with the income in advance almost, which is great. So, yeah, play the Crusader. Highly recommend having a look. I will put a link to that uh, in the show notes so we can all check it out, Diane. I'm going to take a little off-ramp here for a second. Mm-hmm. One of my yep. favourite podcasts is a guy called Jocko Willinks, former Navy SEAL, and he's got a saying that says discipline equals freedom. I want to segue into discipline for a second because looking at you and your stuff and what you've done with your adventure racing and stuff you seem to have discipline in spades and to illustrate my point robbo diane ran a marathon on a treadmill now anyone who's been on a treadmill knows that 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 is (laughs) that really is something running a marathon is awesome doing it on a treadmill somewhere surrounded by walls or whatever that that where does this discipline of yours come from? How do you explain it and how do we get some? <laughs> um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I, that treadmill one, jeepers. I was, actually, I did that in Dubai. So my other option was that I either run outside where it was about 40 to 50 degrees for, you know, four hours or I run inside in a treadmill. So it seemed the less of the two evils to me <laughs> on the day. Um, but <laughs> so I think that the discipline, I guess it comes from, being focused on a particular goal or a vision. Uh, and that's, for me, that was, I ran that marathon on the treadmill as part of my training for an ultra marathon that I was going to be running um, a few weeks um, after that. It was the last of my long run, so to speak. And, uh, uh, and I guess I knew that I was coming towards the end of something. So I thought, well, I can do this. It's not too hard to do now. But, but stepping back in that picture, um, I have, by having a long-term vision and, and knowing what you want to achieve, um, it's it's about mapping it out and working out what the milestones are you need to hit to be able to reach them. Um, so, you know, I really mapped out every week of my runs uh, for six months leading up to the ultra marathon. So I knew how many kilometres I'd be running every day or every couple of days. And it doesn't mean things didn't flex. If I, for some reason, was travelling and I couldn't change anything or go out for a run that day, I'd run the next day or something. So, you know, yes, 
in in the world of marketing, we often say you set your goals in stone, your plans in sand. Uh, and so it's, it's really about making sure that that end goal, what you want to achieve, is something that you you really commit to. But how you get there is sometimes going to flex depending upon you know, time, other influences, family commitments, money, whatever else. Um, so it's about, and it's about checking in on yourself. Like I, I do journaling every day and I keep myself honest about what I'm doing in my life. Am I being true to who I am? Am I really um, trying to do things in a way that's, that is reasonable and fair and um, represents me accurately? And, um, and so yeah, it holds myself to account. And I think being public about it as well, I, I never expected to be publicly um, known figure, um, but uh, with the stuff I'm doing with sustainable food, but also with uh, my Mars One activity, um, I'm held accountable all the time now. <laughs> I never expected to be so, but I guess that increases the discipline too by holding yourself accountable. So let's let's flick over to Mars One, the Mars One project. Mm. Just explain to everybody who may not be familiar with it what what is the Mars One project and how how may you fit into it? Yeah, the Mars One project. It's um, it's a a goal by an organisation who are based in the Netherlands to try and establish the first permanent human settlement on Mars. Uh, so it's, it's pretty audacious kind of goal. Uh, I like an audacious goal. It's not a bad thing. Um, so, so, but what I like about Mars One is they're, they're not a government-run organisation. So that gives them actually, like you said before, a bit of, use that word freedom, uh, to do things in a way that can be different to government organisations. They don't have to be relying on taxpayer dollars. Um, their investments that come into them to help support the mission can come from people who are passionate about it and interested in it. And uh, they can do things in a way that suits them. Um, so, you know, so they're a slightly different organisation than one would expect with NASA and so on. Um, in my participation, um, I'm one of the shortlisted astronaut candidates in the Mars One mission. So I applied to be one of the people that could potentially go to Mars um, eventually to help establish this new society on another planet. Um, and so... For me, as someone who's really into sustainability and uh, sustainable food systems, this seemed like something too good to be true. I thought it was just an incredible opportunity to do something so amazing um, to help us see if we can do something at a, at a scale that's um, it's going to have to be a completely closed-loop system of, of food production that incorporates a lot of, a lot of plants, obviously insects, um, and algae as well as what proposed by Mars One, but if we can show that we can produce food sustainably in a tiny little space that can provide all of the nutrients we need for four people to survive, um, then why can't we do that back here on Earth? So, you know, perhaps the lessons we learn from what we're learning here from the Mars One mission is something that, and anyone who ends up going to Mars, um, we can apply them back here on Earth to, to help us feed ourselves more efficiently here in a way that's, that's fairer and more sustainable. Did I just see something about some Americans living on the side of a volcano in Hawaii for a year that have just come out of a, 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 a an enclosed space um, in, a, in sort of mm. like a, a test case for Mars? Do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. That's the, uh, the High Seas mission. That's, um, it's a NASA-funded thing. It's been going for a number of years. They've had quite a few... More of shorter periods where they've had crews go in and be locked away in simulations of being on Mars, where they can't have communi- a lot of communication with the outside world except through delays. Because between Earth and Mars, there's actually a time delay in communication just because of the distance of the planets and 
speed of light and all those sorts of things. Um, so they simulate delays between around three to 22 minutes, one way for communication. So it's essentially, it's, what it's trying to do is to, it's not just about the technology. We know, you know, we're, we're an incredibly intelligent race. We can work out how to do this. In fact, we've already sent things to Mars 40, for 40, what, 44 missions to Mars since the 60s. And we're going to land heavy things on Mars. We can, we can produce water. We can produce oxygen. All these sorts of things are all possible. Um, but the, the thing we don't know is how the human psyche would deal with so much isolation and so much dependence on each other in such a way that we don't quite experience on this planet. So missions such as the High Seas mission um, that's being run by um, a group from NASA, uh, and not just NASA, there's a number of other groups, the Mars Society um, has some similar simulation exercises that they run to do exactly the same sort of stuff. How do we work as a unit to try and, uh, and, and live sustainably uh, within our potential life on Mars? So it's really about trying to analyse what works and what doesn't work, what are the things that will break us as a group and what are the things that will work to help us gel better together. The thing I'm fascinated by, Diane, is it's, it's a one-way ticket. So you're going to Mars mm. with the view that they're not talking about you coming back again. That, that's, that's a massive sacrifice on so many fronts. Why, why would you want to do that? Like why the sacrifice for you personally? What's your driver? Yeah, I, the one-way bit is actually one of the things that attracted me to it. I know it sounds um, strange. <laughs> and it's not because, not because I don't love this planet. I love this planet. And I think it's one of the reasons why um, I'm prepared to do this. So I guess we all put our hands up to do big things in our lives. And sometimes those, those, those bold decisions we make, um, they, they may not seem bold to others, um, but they are to us. And it could be, you know, deciding to start a new business or um, moving countries or whatever else. I see this as a, it's a pioneering thing. And it's the sort of thing we've seen um, throughout human history, really. I mean, how many, how many times has someone has asked the question, why? And so, and this is, Part of that question is, is that curiosity that's part of the human psyche. You know, we, we always want to understand why or what drives something or what's behind it um, and, and why someone would do something that they do. And for me, why am I prepared to make this sacrifice? Because, yeah, of course, everything's a trade-off, isn't it? We always make trade-offs when we decide to take a particular endeavour. Um, and, and often some of the decisions we make, they're hard to return back from. We, we commit to it and we're going down that pathway now because we've started it. Uh, and it's hard to, you know, reverse out of some things. So um, for me, this isn't about reversing out of something. It's actually about um, my journey as part of going towards it as well. And, um, and when I get there, what I can be potentially a part of. Um, and, and that's something which hopefully will be inspiring to, to other kids, um, to, to, to other adults, um, and perhaps to, to other communities to, to show that you can live sustainably. Um, and the sacrifice for me, it's obviously going to be around the personal stuff. You hear it talked about a lot, Diane, when people are facing their final moments on the planet, they look back at what they wish they'd done or someone who's given a diagnosis suddenly has X time to live. They start to work out the things or the conversations they want to have or the things they want to do or the legacy they want to leave. If there is a moment shortly where you could be nominated as one of those people to go on the one-way ticket. 
Is that the back of your mind now? Are, are you building those lists and living each day with the view that I could get a phone call or an email shortly saying I'm out of here? Are you are you living your so-called bucket list on this planet? Like, does that go through your mind? Uh, look, I think it has in some ways. Um, I've I've changed a a lot about um, how I live since participating in the the Mars One project as an applicant. Um, and I put in my application back in April 2013 and when I was shortlisted to the first um, 1,058 in December that same year, um, that was that was a real moment when I had to sit down and go, holy moly, you know, this could be um, something that changes my life so dramatically. Um, and and I did think about, well, what does that mean for today? Am I, am I living my life today effectively? Am I, how, am I enjoying this moment? Um, and a lot, like, a lot of people ask me, oh, are you focused towards this future of going to Mars all the time? Um, and it's, of course, I think about that and I'm, I'm, I live part of my life in such a way that I'm preparing for that. Um, so, you know, my health and fitness, uh, what I'm trying to learn, um, new technologies I'm, I'm trying to learn as well and, and, and those sorts of things. But at the same time, what it's done is it's sharpened uh, my mindfulness about today. Um, I've, I've increased the amount of meditation I, I do. I, I never used to meditate anywhere near this amount. Um, and I've, I've learned the skill of being able to be here and nothing else mattering but this moment speaking to you, this very moment. I've, I've, in the past, I would often be you know, maybe in a conversation with someone and part of my mind would be like, oh, I don't know, better go pick that up on the way home, you know, mm. <laughs> as you tend to do sometimes. Um, but I've managed to get that out of my system and actually be in the conversation in that moment with people. So, yeah, I, I think that, that the bucket list thing uh, and it, it, whether it's, you know, making sure I go and tick off a whole lot of stuff, it's actually that will kind of happen, but it's more about um, learning to be here and enjoy this moment because this is all I have is this second right now. That's an interesting point. Robo and I have talked to a few people in the last couple of months and I think we're getting closer to actual techniques or actual tips and tools people can use to actually be in the moment because we hear about it a lot and it's talked about, it's recommended, but very few people up until the last couple of weeks or months on the Mojo Radio Show, we've actually come across a few people like Olympians who've spoken about tangible things that anybody listening to the show can do to bring themselves to the moment. Are there... Is there something that you have found is a tangible process, tip tool, technique that you have learnt because of this exercise to bring you to that moment where you are in this conversation and nothing else in the world matters? Like is there a, a go-to thing? There's a few techniques that I use. It just depends on um, on the situation and where you are because sometimes it's hard to to apply them if you're in maybe a social environment and you can't do some particular things. But one thing that I find incredibly helpful is, that's really strange and we do it all the time without thinking, breathing. Um, but to actually be aware of your breathing, to pay attention to where the air is going in your lungs, like when you're breathing in, breathing in through your nose really slowly, if you do it slowly and deeply and allow, allow it to feel like it's, it's filling the lower part of your lung first and then your chest and then up towards your shoulders. Like really slowly fill your lungs up literally and 
just hold that breath gently for a couple of heartbeats. I feel but really breathing in such a way that I can I can feel my heartbeat and and then letting that air out really slowly for five slow heartbeats in the same in the opposite direction to how I took it in. Um, so it's uh, just it's a really simple technique to bring you to that and. And I add, and something you can add to that to those who are still, because um, this is fantastic as well for managing um, stress, um, the worries, anxiety, and that too is to, to try and bring yourself to now rather than because people who, who yesterday in Australia was uh, Are You OK Day and mental health is a, a really important issue. I mean, one in three women suffer from anxiety and one in five men. Um, so it's a really big problem. Um, so anxiety is sadly very, very common. Um, and so... This is a great technique to help manage some of that is to take yourself out of the worries of the future because anxiety is often worrying about something which hasn't actually happened yet, um, but to bring you into right now and to start to, you do some of the breathing and then you start to do, you can do a body check is one thing to do. So if you're lying down or sitting in a chair or whatever, um, just try and not physically touch yourself or whatever, but feel what's happening with the bottom of your feet that time and then start to move that sense of awareness of your body up through your body. Like, okay, what's happening? What are my ankles doing at the moment? What am I feeling around my calves? Do I feel my jeans rubbing against the back of my calves or um, is the back of the chair against my knees? So all these sorts of things start to feel. As soon as you start to feel, put your sensory self into this second that is a very relaxing thing and it brings you to right now. So you find yourself quite focused mentally uh, and there's a, 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 a lightness to yourself after doing these sorts of things. So listen, listen to the world around you and uh, from a sensory perspective. When you were growing up in the Northern Territory, mm-hmm. was going to space, uh, was that always part of your dream? Like is that, what, what we, was, as a child growing up, now that you've got this adventure potentially in front of you, has it always been a dream since you were a kid? Yeah, well, the Northern Territory was a very, very formative years. I was so fortunate to get to grow up in the outback. Um, from the age of ten to seventeen, um, lived on Aboriginal settlements in the in the desert, and uh, it was you know the communities that I was fortunate to live in were one was on the edge of Simpson and the other up in the Tanami Desert in the Northern Territory. So wonderful, rich communities of um, diverse and fascinating people, um, and. But, there was, but the wonderful thing about the outback as well is you don't have the light pollution mm. that you have here in cities or in our towns. So you go out, you know, you go out bush, maybe you go out hunting or just out walking or whatever, and, uh, and then you look up and you would, you'd really see the Milky Way. They're big, extraordinary stars. Uh, the richness and the tapestry of the sky was, was so clearly visible. Um, so as a child growing up, in the outback, um, you know, I saw this, and, and my father was a, an avid reader of science fiction, and I devoured his books because not a lot to do up there. Um, so you'd read, I read a lot of books, and so I read my dad's um, science fiction collection, and uh, and so I, yes, as a as a young child, I, I definitely used to fantasise about going to space, um, never expecting I'd potentially have the opportunity to do so, but. I definitely used to dream about that sort of stuff growing up, uh, and it was it was something which you know. And sadly, as I sort of started to move out of childhood into young adulthood, just I kind of shelved that dream. And I thought that oh well, that's not going to happen, so I'll just put that in the shelf and just still go and watch all the Star Wars movies. But um, 
But yeah, so yes, I did indeed. <laughs> Great story. It's so cool. Well, mate, um, we should let Diane go on with a very busy day. Where are you going to take us to? The Nifty 90? I think we're going to do a Nifty 90. Oh, okay. I reckon she's up for it. Yeah, I think Diane can keep up. What? All right. All right. She's, All right. she's an ultra marathoner. She's, she's an adventure racer. So I think this will be an adventure. The Nifty 90. Robbo's Nifty 90. Here we go. Here we go. Robbo's Nifty 90. This is my new baby, Diane. It's my new little segment that I've decided is going to give us a bit of an insight to our guests. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start the stopwatch. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I'm going to pop a whole bunch of questions at you. I just need some rapid fire answers. First thing that pops into your head, okay? All right. Now, before we start, Robert, right. one thing. What's, what's our record? What did Tate do? I think Tate did 11. So I think our record is a former UFC cage fighter, now stuntman <laughs> in Hollywood, that entrepreneur. Yeah. I think he got to 11. Now, I know you, I, look at your stuff, Diane. I've got a sense you're quite competitive and disciplined. So the clock starts. <laughs> see how it's we all go. yours. It's in, your, it's in your hands. All right. You ready, Diane? Okay. All right. It's not a marathon. It's a sprint, remember? <laughs> what's your favourite pizza topping? Um... Anchovies. Favourite word? Butter. Dogs or cats? <laughs> Dogs. Uh, what's the thing that annoys you the most? Flies over food. If you could bathe in any liquid besides water, what would it be? Milk. Three things you'd grab before your house burnt down? Uh, probably my phone. <laughs> wallet. Phone, wallet, and one more? Uh, my partner. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, great. Something you need to stop doing? Procrastinating. One thing you think people should know about the food they eat? That it's probably done way too many miles and that they should eat local. Three words to describe yourself? Uh, three words. Okay, so um, adventurous, um, determined, and curious. Favourite childhood memory? Pretending to be Wonder Woman um, out the back of the house running around the creek. Nice. nice. And the last song you caught yourself singing along to? Um, gosh, I think it was The Monkeys the other day. Um, I'm a believer. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Nice. You've, 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 you've run a marathon and you've also survived Robbo's Nifty 90. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Diane, we, we know how much you've got going on at the moment. Thank you so much for your time. We um, will be following your journey, potentially one of the greatest journeys in mankind, should you be chosen to get on board that craft to head up to uh, Mars. Really inspirational what you're doing. We've loved hearing about it. And I think what I really love is the segue between sustainable food, adventure, and where this project could take you and how all those things they're all they're all linked. They all have a similar story in your life and in your dreams. And I think that's just it's such a beautiful thing for children or all of us at any age to hear and aspire to be. So um, thanks for your time. It's been great. Yeah, thanks, Diane. Yeah, look, thanks, guys. I've had a lot of fun. Good. Glad. Do you reckon they'll be having <laughs> podcasts on Mars? Like, is there any chance we can get the Mojo Radio Show pumped into your little abode up there? We can beam it up every week. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'll definitely. If, um, we'll definitely be able to have access to uh, the internet on Mars. Wow. So there, I mean, we already have. So satellite communication is going to be viable. We just won't be able to have direct, like uh, immediate conversations yeah, such as this. Um, it would be delayed. So um, we could deal with that. Be able to download podcasts. Yeah. 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 Oh, exactly. And I mean, some of the stuff. I mean, you could you could definitely do interviews with people on Mars. Oh, you could send them a series of questions. 
uh, and they could prepare some responses to that, definitely. The first podcast to ever beam into space, how would that be? Oh, man, that's, yeah, so, cool. that's so big. <laughs> well, we wish you luck. We'll, keep, we'll be able to keep a, keep a track of what goes on. And uh, So when's the announcement? When would you know you're going? When do you get your mm, ticket? Oh, well, gosh, that won't be for, for over a decade. Um, wow. But we've got the final round of selection um, still to come, and that will be trimming us down from the 100 we are today. Uh, down to um, 40 and then down to 24. So, um, You've got a one in four chance. I do. Wow. That's pretty good odds. That's insane. I really do. Yeah. Better than buying a lotto ticket, don't you reckon? Yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. sleeping at night. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck. That's unreal. Thanks, Heath, guys. All right. Thanks so much for your, time. for your time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Heath. Coming soon to the Mojo Radio Show. The only disappointing thing is that David Bowie won't be around to see it, right? Mate, I've got to say, I think in some of his halcyon days of rock and roll, the music industry, I think he's been to Mars. <laughs> yeah, he may have been to. <laughs> he's been to planets none of us will ever get to. True. There you go. But I am a bit fascinated by crickets because I, I have oh, you've got been to try reading them. a lot uh, about this natural protein mm. source, which, of course, is abundant in crickets. Mm. And apparently it is a wonderful source of protein and mm. it actually tastes okay. So yeah. I... Um, I'm going to look that up and have a crack at it, I reckon. I have to be honest, I drew the line at scorpions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of went, mm, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show. Now, we're going to finish up on a, on a beautiful note today. We are. I got an email from Samantha Hollier-James, who is part of the board of the Tour de Cure, a charity I work with. Mm. And Sam had received a note from Channel 7 Sunrise. Now, Channel 7 Sunrise are great supporters of the Tour de Cure here in Australia. They do a lot of work for us. And they found just a beautiful story about a young girl who is helping her friends and children who are less privileged than some of us. And she ties into the Tour de Cure because she's doing it through bikes. And we were very fortunate to be able to get Clarissa and Tia on the phone to talk about this little project that Tia has running. So, guys, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Now, Tia, you've started a little charity. Tell us what you have been up to. Well, I've, I donate bikes to kids that don't have one, and it's gone into adults, and I recycle bikes, and I do other community projects. So, Tia, you collect bikes that aren't being used by people, and then you give them away to kids who don't have a bike. Is that right? Yes, I do. Do you have to fix some of those bikes up? Yes, we have, like, we need bikes in reasonable conditioning order, and then we just, like, fix them. I put bells on them, I clean them, I test drive them. My younger sister test drives them as well. She loves (laughs) test driving them. My dad is the mechanic, but I help him, like, do the tire shine and WWD 40. That's awesome. Well, that sounds like quite a little production line. Now, how old are you? I'm 10. And how long have you been doing this then at 10 years old? Since 
last Christmas. So you started this when you were, what, nine years old, is that right? Yes. Where were you when this thought came to mind? And, and tell us the story to get you to today. Well, at Christmas time, I was at Sussex Inlet, um, about three, like two and a half hours away from home. And I was riding my bike past the rubbish bins and I saw about three or four bikes there and I said to myself, I don't want to see them go to waste. So I went back to my mum and said, well, mum, I found these bikes at the rubbish bins and I thought I didn't want to see these go to waste. So I asked my mum, can we please take these bikes home to kids that don't have one? Hmm. But unfortunately, she said no because we didn't have enough car space to put all the bikes in (laughs) and take them home. Parents can be so rude sometimes, can't they? So I hung on till I got home and I asked my mum again, can we please collect bikes in our community and give them to kids that don't have one? So it's built it up from there and I have a Facebook page called Tell Tea for Charity, Recycled Bikes. That is such a beautiful story and it's sort of, I guess, the lesson there for us, Tia, is it takes persistence, doesn't it? Like you can't just give up the first go if somebody says no. <laughs> yes, it does. And... How's your dad getting on with all this repaired work on the bikes? Is he, uh, <laughs> he, he must be a good guy. He helps me a lot fix the bikes as well, and I help him. I always help him if we got, like, bikes to do up. Is it fun to get greasy fingers when you're putting chains yes, on bikes and all that it's sort of really stuff? it's really fun. <laughs> yes, it's really fun to do it. Now, how many bikes have you donated so far, Tia? Well, I've donated about... Christmas time, 150 now. Wow. That's unreal. It's just beautiful, Clarissa. I've got to say, Mum, it's just, it's such a wonderful story. What What are your impressions of having gone through this since Christmas time and you've now 150 bikes into it, the family's behind it, your, your sister, your daughter's test ride, oh. test riding. What's, how's, what are your impressions <laughs> of it? Look, it, it, it didn't surprise me that she wanted to help um, others, and she has always had that within her. Um, but it, it surprised me that the bike idea was sort of born. Uh, mm. Although she does love riding her bike, and down at the caravan park, there there are a lot of kids that just ride around on bikes, and you know that they, they see the the fun in that kind of thing. And that's where Tia wanted to see other kids having fun on their bikes, and knew that well, if there's bikes going to wakes, there might be kids that don't have one so she wanted to find a way and this um this time it was great that she was persistent and <laughs> that worked out well for that one um yeah so and I'm glad she didn't give up on her dreams and although um you know I did say no it sort of has got into her head that no you don't give up <laughs> you yeah. keep going so it it just works really nice. What's the impact been like on the family? It it <laughs> my husband, yes, he does uh come comes home from work and it's like we've got another ten bikes for you to fix. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, okay, uh, we'll get to those ones on the weekend and uh look we have had another community group help us, which is yeah. lovely because and then it sort of uh, brings more community on board and brings the community together, which we just love being involved with. And that's the Bradbury Men's Shed. So they help do lots of things. So how does it work, 
Clarissa, are you, is it just your area or are you nationwide or how's it work? It, it is expanding and with Tia's dream, she, that's her goal. She wants to expand it. Um, she's always says to me, I wish we could get bikes, you know, to people in different places and not just in our community anymore, Mum. So <laughs> um, that's sort of the next step. Um, but, yes, we do do it ourselves, so it's it's been a bit limited of what we can actually do. So um, we we fund everything ourselves. So, yes, that's a bit, you know, that's the beauty of it. As a child, they don't see any barriers and they just want to keep going. So she's definitely motivated us um, and, and seen something through a child's eyes that you, you know, to bring it back down to, yes, go for it. Now, Tia, tell me... What's it like when you give one of your bikes to a child who doesn't have a bike? Well, I'm really happy. It's like a miracle. It's like seeing a miracle happen because, like, they just received a bike and it's really exciting for them. And just watching them seeing, like, being happy, smiling on their faces, having fun on their bike like I would do when... I got my first bike. Have, have you learnt anything from doing this, Tia? Is there a lesson that you've learnt or something that you will always remember from, from all you've been through to get this thing started? Yes. Um, to always help people in the community and, like, to always, like, help in the community and, like, to always help. You can always help in many different ways, no matter mm. what. Um, way you help in. I think that's a great message no matter what age you are. You're helping a lot of yeah. people, aren't you, Tia? Like the bike is, is one part, it's one project you're doing, but you do other work in the community, don't you? Yes, I do. I collect pet food for foster carers. I feed the homeless. With one meal makes a difference. I do up toiletry bags for women's refuges and don't forget the men as well. <laughs> and I give flowers to people in the nursing homes as well. Just between you and me and Robbo and your mum, because no one else listens to the show, um, what's your secret wish? If you had a secret wish and you could have anything you wanted and you knew you couldn't fail, what would you want? I would really like to get my bikes over to other countries to give bikes to kids that don't have one in, like, other countries. I want to go over there. And I want to give also people who don't have bikes, like in Australia, I want to give them all bikes. That's beautiful. That's great, isn't it? I think once you become our Prime Minister, I think uh, <laughs> you can probably make a few of these things happen. Tia, it's, uh, it's beautiful. And we thank you both for sharing on the Mojo Radio Show. Clarissa, thank you for your time. Thanks for um, organising this with us. We really appreciate it. Now, yeah. um, now we have something for your dad. Really? Tia? Yes. Yeah. Now, because I know what it's like to work on bikes, because I've worked on a few bikes myself, and it sounds like he's done 160 bikes, and there's probably going to be more to come by the sounds of your determination. But we have got a couple of things for your dad. Robbo and I are going to send you some CDs for your dad and a limited edition, exclusive Mojo Radio Show, Soap on a Rope. <laughs> Oh, he will love that Thank with a you. caravan. <laughs> Thank you so much. You guys' missions is to give kids bikes. Our mission is to bring back soap on a rope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the soap on the rope works down at the caravan, actually. It's a, there you it's go. a great amenity. So there you that. go. We've got another ambassador <laughs> on board. They are limited edition, oh, Clarissa. We're going to pop that in the mail to you. <laughs> It'll be 
be so honoured. He will be re- and he'll be really, um, you know, because he does do a lot of work. And and Tia yeah. has actually asked me, you know, how do we get um, kids for special needs like on bikes? And Simon and I have kind of discussed like how do we we do this side of things? And you know, and he's he's got that sort of ticking away in his brain. I know, so it's it's really nice because I know that the input he puts. You know, he does it for the bike charity, but he's sort of like in the back stall, yeah. <laughs> as we no, say. We, you're just a mechanic. <laughs> no, no, we, so uh, he will we love acknowledge bikes. that. And the funny thing, Robbo, is that Tia has no idea what a soap on a rope is. No, that's right. Uh, Tia's going, what is a soap on a rope, guys? Come on. <laughs> it's way after Tia's uh, generation. But, um, Tia, when you see it, you'll be able to tell all your friends at school that your dad got a soap on a rope, which is very retro, very classic, very cool, <laughs> from the two guys at the Mojo Radio Show. But we'll also send him some CDs. We'll send him some, what have we got, Robbo? Some Rick Price and some Dead Daisies oh, and yeah, what else we got? we got some, what, Tequila Mockingbird and, geez. Tequila Mockingbird. Yeah, all oh, sorts of stuff. Fantastic. Great yeah. driving track. Yeah, Dad will love to put those on in the car while he's driving to the caravan. So yeah, thank you so will. much for having us. It's great bike mechanic music and we are very very grateful for having you both on Tia you are a lovely lovely little girl and you have got very big dreams and we wish you all the luck Tia can I just say that the future has a bright star of hope with people like yourselves at your age putting yourself forward to do this sort of stuff that's just unreal and don't give up thank you Tia if there are people listening to the show and they'd like to help or find out more about what you do where would you like to send them to? Where, what what address can we send them to? Like, do you have it? You've got a Facebook site. Do you have something else we could tell them? Um, I have Instagram. I have an email account, and I have my Facebook, which is called Tell Tia for Charity Recycled Bikes. Tell Tia for Charity Recycled Bikes. That's on Facebook. Yeah. Okay, we'll put that yeah. link. We'll put that link in our show notes on our website and on the show notes on iTunes. People can find that, click on and get through. And what would they look for you? What is the name on Instagram? Same? Um, yes, but they're all together. All together. Okay, all we'll word. find that as well and we'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes for you. Thank you so much. Help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes What's Hot list. Hit up the Mojo Radio Show and leave a comment now. Oh, and please... You are such a disappointing pair. Be gentle with us. You know, I don't mind fixing the odd bike, but I've got to say I'm glad I'm not the dad in that household. <laughs> yeah, we'll send some goodies out to him because I think Absolutely. any dad and or mum who is handy on the tools uh, can commiserate with the old man for having to do that. But I just... Robbo, hearing what a what an amazing, beautiful, polite, gorgeous oh, child absolutely. that is just focused on doing the right things mm-hmm. in the world. And I, I can't watch the news at night. I'm really sorry, but it's just that's the sort of good news story we need to hear more of because yeah. uh, from a young age, that girl in her DNA is just about giving service to others. And we know that's one of the biggest precursors to happiness and uh and clarissa is a very obviously a very proud mum so um thanks guys for being on the show if i can draw a rocktober reference we've got tate fletcher coming up in the next couple of weeks we've already talked about that and one of the lines tate used in our interview was guys the world's on fire and i don't know where we're headed well if the world is on fire and tate's right then we've just discovered the water that's going to put the fire out i reckon 
Oh, hey. How long did hey. you write that one? Hey? I, I, do you know what? That line from Tate has stuck with me for weeks. I can't get it out of my head because every time I turn on the news now, I just think he's so right. It's such a good analogy. Yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> this is going to be a song for the dead days. He's written by Darren Robbo Robertson, <laughs> John Karabi, Marco Mendoza and Darren Robertson, Robbo for the yeah, Mojo Radio yeah, Show. Absolutely. The world's on fire. Yeah. Joe writing. Absolutely. I just, I, it's a great line. I just love it. It's so true. But anyway, there you it go. It is a great line. Now, I am going to finish us up with a couple of great lines. And I was going to say, I have read this over and over because this de- definitely gets our mojo working. It was a, re- a rating and review left for us by Yander uh, last week. That's what I like about you. The Mojo Radio Show. And the headline is, I now ace pub trivia nights. Five stars for the Mojo Radio <laughs> Show. Gary and Robbo, I started listening to you way back in the beginning. So a long-term listener. Yeah but got out of the habit of tuning in each week. I rediscovered you again on my iPhone in April and binge listened from episode (laughs) 18 to 78 in just three weeks. Oh, God, his family must hate us. (laughs) Mate, soap on a rope on its way to you, my friend. I felt renewed physically, mentally, spiritually, and my mojo was well and truly pumping, so I took action. I've had back problems in the past that I've used as an excuse not to get fit, Now I see an exercise physiologist regularly who's taught me the right way to exercise and has me running again three times a week. However, this is really cool. I've taken the plunge and set up my own business, which I've launched this week called Chili Boom. Now it's chiliboom.com.au. I'll come back to that. Another added benefit is that I can now ace the rock section of any pub <laughs> trivia night. It's good to see our mojo's rubbing off in some way or another at least. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Thanks nice for the great work. show, boys, and uh, keep changing lives. I just think that, Yander, thanks, man. That, uh, that does warm the cockles of our heart. Folks, I've been on a registered for chiliboom.com.au, and this is just an absolutely wicked idea. It's actually a subscription club for hot sauce. Okay. So it's Chili Bomb, C-H-I-L-L-I-B-O-M-I.com.au. And it says, it's a holding page at the moment, but if you join now, you get a 10% off your subscription for life. Chili Bomb Hot Sauce Subscription Club is busy gathering the best fiery and tasty hot sauces from all over the world for delivery to you. Mm. Now- Folks, we, this is not a thing for us. Like, we're not associated with this at all. We just, this just gets our mojo working for someone who'll take the time to write such a great thing. And a guy who's taken a step to study his own thing. So, once it's up, we'll get him on and just find out. Cause I'm, oh man, I love, as I'm sure you do, I love my hot sauces. But that, uh, that really got me going. I thought that was just a cracker. So, um, that's awesome, yeah, isn't it? I've registered. So, I'm, I'm keeping across what he's doing. <laughs> You're on board early. I'm on. I'm on. You're an, always an early adopter. Well, some would say it's had slow, actually. So uh, anyway, we're changing things around. So um, to finish it off, you got a good, uh, a really nice Facebook post as well. That was a bit of fun. Yeah, Tasha Wells. I haven't got it in front of me though. Have you? Have you got it there? Can you read it out? I do. It's uh, it's great. It's it's a shot from the gym, and Tasha is obviously on the rowing machine. And it says, so here I am, Thursday evening, kicking at the gym, tuning into the Mojo Radio Show podcast, and you mentioned my name. I'm a big fan. Keep up the awesome work. You two definitely make me smile and keep my mojo high through the back end of the week, pushing me through the gym, life, work, loving it, exclamation mark, you rock. So there you go, Tasha, getting after it. We love that. It uh, 
There's no advertising, no sponsors, sadly, yeah. on the show. Just big smiles on our faces when you get stuff like that, though. Exactly. It's just yeah, uh, awesome. it's just cool, yeah. and uh, we love it. So thank you, guys. It uh, it warms the cockles of our heart. Keep them coming, please. Thank you, Tasha, and thank you, Yanda, for sending us through. It, 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 does, it just makes us feel good, and we do the whole thing just because Robbo and I have a good time together. We like to have a laugh, play a bit of rock music, and add value to you and anybody who wants to be listening or associated to the show, all our guests. And- we're just a couple of good old boys, never doing no harm. <laughs> I know where you're What's going. What's that make you think of? <laughs> Yeehaw, these Roscoe Pico trains. God of rock. Thank you for this chance to kick ass. The Mojo Radio Shows. Lessons in rock. Listen, I'm not afraid of you. Some people may be afraid of you because you're the richest and most powerful man in Hazard. But Roscoe Pico train shows no favor. Don't let your babies grow. My lesson of rock, because you know we are a little bit rock, a little bit country, mm. and one of my all-time favourite outlaws of all time is Waylon Jennings, and mm. I'm a massive Waylon Jennings fan. He's one of the, the great outlaws back with Willie and Johnny Cash and Chris Christophers and the Highwaymen, and I saw an interview with Willie Nelson, and he talked about how they became the outlaws, and how the whole thing started was that the record companies finally saw the value in Waylon and signed them up. And what the record companies wanted to do was change them to be like every other country artist. And Willie's words were, we went down that track, but we just didn't work for us. Mm. So they grew their hair, they went to Austin, and in the middle of the night they got their band together and went into the studio and recorded it behind the back of their record company and launched it. And, of course, it went on to sell millions, and that's how the whole country music thing was sort of the, the outlaw rebellion that came out of Nashville, which ended up with Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and all these you know wonderful artists that came out of it. And the outlaw thing started because they did it at midnight in a studio when no one knew about it, just doing what some good old country boys do, which is just get after it. And that's kind of, folks, what our show's about. So we read out these reviews only because it makes us feel good. And... We're not getting anything from it. Everything we promote, we just do it because we just think it's cool and we just love seeing people get after it. So um, that's my lesson, mate. Bit of Waylon Jennings about playing us out with a bit of Dukes of Hazard. Bit of Dukes of Hazard. Yeehaw. Wings out. Just a good old boy. Never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw. Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born. Straightening the curve. Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way The only way they know how That's just a little bit more Than the law will allow I
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.